Welcome to the great conversation where ideas matter. Ideas shape markets, they change the world. Digital transformation has been a topic in most of the leaders that I've talked to over the last year. Digital transformation in more than one way, more than just corporations, but also in their personal lives. And along with it is this idea of if we're in the midst of change, how do we deal with that? So many of the leaders have brought up engagement or psychological safety. And how interesting that we're talking about safety and security psychologically when we're in the midst of digital transformation. And there's lots of reasons for that, but I have two disparate technology companies represented in the great conversation today. One, getting in front of proactive intelligence and its, and its impact on the, uh, on the company and the security and safety program. And another one that purportedly has been a turnstile company or access control company that is now going through its own digital transformation and impacting their customer and their market. So Steve Caraselli from Orion and Manish Mehta from Antic, great having you folks here. Thank you, Ron. Thank you, Ron, good to be with you. Manish, you didn't start in security. You, you started in a whole different marketplace, but that marketplace gave you some lessons learned about digital transformation and change. Tell me about that. It did, Ron. And, and again, thank you for having me on your podcast. 30 years ago, I worked at Three Mile Island, which was uh, the start and the genesis of the nuclear industry. And if you think about technology transformations, there's usually two ends of the pendulum. One side, you have optimism that's born out of the anticipation and excitement of what that technology can produce. And the other side, you have fear. And there's no better example of that than the nuclear industry. If you go back to the 1920s and 30s, you had Enrico Fermi, who was working with nuclear fission and invented the nuclear reactor in search of a business model. And he found it in the late 30s with submarines. Submarines during the wartime could go out three months and would have to come back and get refueled. And by miniaturizing a nuclear reactor, you could put that in a sub, it would go out 18 months and come back. So you had this great business model and you had this optimism and euphoria. Well, that nuclear power plant then expanded and could power small cities and towns and eventually you know, large seaboards. And from 1963 or on till 1979, there were 103 power plants commissioned in the United States. So you can imagine this new fuel efficient energy source and everything that it could bring. But on the other side, in the 70s, you had concerns over nuclear. You had concerns over safety. In 1979, Michael Douglas produced the film called The China Syndrome. And a few months after that, you had the Three Mile Island nuclear accident. What that did to the industry, Ron, is it crippled it completely because this was an industry that did not pay attention to that other side of the pendulum fear. You know, it's interesting too, because I was thinking of corollaries, Manisha, I was thinking of when um, there was a great movie, I forget the title, you'd probably remember it, uh, but the automobile industry tearing up all the trolley lanes around the cities, right? Uh, so people would have to start using their automobiles. And then being a kid in the 60s and 70s, where I'd come home from school and my chest is hurting. I wonder what that cloud of dark air actually contains. And we, uh, we didn't, we had waste. We had waste coming from those automobiles and it was affecting our, our health and our waters and so forth. So 
But then the business model began to react to that. And they found a way to begin to clean up the air. If you think about it, the catalytic converter, right? Absolutely. And, uh, and, and most schooled children aren't growing up like me anymore. So, but there's also one other thing too. And that is CEOs are paid to manage risk and opportunity. And when we bring up the C-level, it flows downhill. So they're expecting their C-level officers to manage risk and opportunity. And they don't mind taking risk if the opportunity is there. So in this sensor-driven world, we're seeing the impact of change on the old ways of thinking, not only how we manage programs, manage technology companies, manage the channel. We're looking at all this change going on at once. It's hitting us all over the place. And there's a reason I brought these two companies together. Steve, it's affecting you. You've been a turnstile company, but you are a risk and opportunity CEO. You saw something here no one else was looking at. What did you see? Uh, Ron, we started looking about three or four years ago at what was happening in the world of sensors and data collection. Um, so, you know, we've always played with, with sensors in our turnstile lanes and, and started to look at um, what would it take to put us out of business permanently? And let's make sure we do that and somebody else doesn't. Uh, so we started investing heavily into LIDAR technology and radar technology, millimeter wave technology. So just looking at all the different ways uh, that you can look at the world in a non-video format, because we wanted to be we wanted to be very private. Um, uh, also, you know, it, there's a lot of competition in the video space. So we wanted to do something different. Um, and, it's, you know, I, I think it was at a great conversation. Data is a new oil. Uh, that got, was one of those things that got me thinking, you know, how do we get involved with data? Uh, and then obviously with, uh, with, the, with the slowdown in the economy with COVID, it allowed us to, to sprint forward on some of the issues we were working on. Um, so we developed a whole, whole new product, of, a suite of products around data collection um, in present sensing that would tie into what we were already doing at the lobby with the turnstile. So tell me what you're sensing and why. What's the big why around these sensors? Yeah, great question, Ron. So what, we're, what we always do is we sense people. Right, we sense presence and 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 utilizing uh, either a 3D profile through lidar technology, where we're taking millions of points of data and identifying that a person is there, or a cart, or a dog, or a cat, whatever. Somebody, something is walking through it through an area with lidar technology. With right radar technology, we're utilizing close range radar to utilizing heart rate and breathing as an indicator of presence on the security side. Uh, but also then on a one-to-one -one basis, uh, doing very high level um, breathing and heart rate detection on the medical side. Uh, so we're able to use a, a presence sensing technology that can do a lot of different things. You know, very simply put, replacing a PIR, a passive infrared sensor and a lighting solution. Um, now we can do multiple things because we detect presence with heartbeat. You don't have to wave your arm around anymore when you're working late at night or you know, in that public restroom somewhere because if your heart's beating, we know you're there. From an energy savings standpoint, green energy and cost savings, we can also know that you've left. So we can turn off that heating and air conditioning much more efficiently. So for a very low cost sensor, we now pay for it through heating and lighting savings. And that same sensor can have multiple data streams. So let's take an extreme case of a fire or active shooter. 
same sensor that's there to turn the lights on and off can now tell a first responder where people are huddled and where people are moving and react accordingly. Because we obviously don't want to send a firefighter in looking for somebody that's not there. And in an active shooter situation, we want to stop that as fast as possible. So those are kind of the, the both extremes, lighting and heating, you know, versus a, a muster report type scenario slash first responder scenario and everything in between. So these sensors become more pro pervasive, Manish. What will that do to your data intelligence you're trying to collect? And how do you see yourself leveraging that in the future? Well, I think what's brilliant about the technology that Steve is talking about, if I take it back to those two ends of the pendulum of optimism, think of the ability to present sense the way Steve describes, rather than just being one data point, it's multiple data points and multiple data sources. And what it prevents is the single points of failure. And what happens in this industry, and I can even go back to the nuclear industry, just to turn back to that example, is single points of failure create and exacerbate that fear. And if you have present sensing, you're not relying on a single identity scan. You're not relying on a facial recognition match. You're taking these multiple sensing points. And from what we do at, at Ontic, we pull as many pre-incident threat indicators as possible. We then tie that to the history of that individual through public records, through other access control indicators. So as many points of presence that we can pull in through a platform, we believe that's the best solution for success, mitigates and minimizes privacy concerns and risk, and mitigates fear. Wow. I can't even imagine, though, that being correlated under the old algorithmic type of programming. So this is all, is this all machine learning at this point, or is it really automated through AI? It requires big data. So you have to store this data in large data systems in the cloud. Mm -hmm. And then if you can pattern match, do anomaly detections, leverage machine learning and AI, put those patterns together, you'll start to see those anomalies. You'll start to see those exception cases and hone in on the risk that's present. No human can do that. That is too much data at too large of a scale. So the fact that you have automated engines and machines on the back end to help optimize that, and then a rules engine that can tie to a workflow, I think you're, you've got the best of both worlds. Very interesting. Uh, by the way, as a sidelight, because both of you are technology companies. Again, I mentioned in the preface that many of the leaders are redefining every one of our C-level silos. So for example, HR, HR is in charge of organizational strength, psychological safety. And it was interesting, I'm on the phone with this senior VP and she's talking about, ready for this Manish, patterns. She's talking about really understanding the patterns of the culture, which is their workflows, but also the social engineering between steps in that process, right? And it reminded me of my daughter in school when the teacher asked them to all come together and work together on a project. And she was saying nobody else worked as hard as her. So she was picking up all the pieces. And I go, there's the social engineering. We don't, we sitting at the top, don't see those kind of patterns. So where am I going with this? If I can really sense heart rates, 
And can I, can I start actually indicating stresses under old of, in a workflow? Can I start understanding that, Steve? So, so Ron, that's a good question. And we get asked that a lot. The technology is not quite there yet. Okay. You know, we, we use heart rate as an indicator of presence, right? So we right. know your heart's beating. When we go to the medical point of telling, of actually identifying the, the metrics around heart rate and, and whether it's speeding up or slowing down, today, that's really a body at rest, right? So think about in, in a medical application or aging at home application when you're asleep, you know, are you still healthy day over day? So yeah. not so much, um, not so much in terms of identifying stress factors it, while, it, while active, Right. I actually just came from a from a speed dating event in Arizona that was for gym owners and they wanted to know if we could if we could monitor a group class. And I said, no, that we're not quite there yet. Uh, I can tell you how many people are in the class, but I can't tell you the heart rate from one sensor. Uh, the sensor is one to one. So if you're listening, you can see right now the community knows this. Ron doesn't script these conversations. I'm actually on a search for, uh, as a lifelong learner, search for the truth in this. So Manish, given what Steve just said, we're still, we're at the beginning of what sensors can do. How do you as CTO, chief product officer, or CTO as well, how does, how does a chief product officer start taking early entry technology without necessarily disrupting what you can do today. How do you go through that process? Because this we're early on right here. Absolutely. I think there's always room to experiment. You know, take our world, we're looking at adult threat actors, threat actors who premeditate before taking or acting uh, violently. So an example of that are two different types of individuals. One could be a howler, so we invest a lot of technology listening for howlers, people who are talking aggressively about taking action, but typically do not. And then you have the hunter and the hunter is premeditated. There are a number of breadcrumbs that they leave. If we can experiment with technologies like Steve that can do present sensing, and we can start pattern matching against those hunters and strip away and filter out the howlers, again, we can be more effective. So the challenge that individuals in my role have when we deal with technology companies is making room for experimentation. And I think we have to do that. And then experiment in a way that can apply to our business model and the problems that we're trying to solve. It's so funny you say that. And uh, this is why I love your background because you're an out-of-the-box thinker. You know, if you go to uh, people like Clay Christensen and... Uh, and Drucker and others, one of the biggest concerns they had with large companies is they didn't create the white space for innovation. So the very fact that you're programming that into the culture and the nuances of Ontic is pretty, pretty special, Manish. Thank you, Ron. It's not easy to do. Uh, as you imagine, with a fast-growing company, we're overwhelmed with priorities just as Steve is, but you do need to make time and room and opportunity, and that's usually when the magic happens. Of course, uh, of course, Steve has been on this uh, conversation a number of times and everyone already knows he's a mad professor. He's always looking at something different, right, Steve? Yeah, absolutely, Ron. You know, it, what we were just talking about, it reminds me when you, when you I love that, that comment, make room for experimentation, right? Is I find when people, and people bring us really unique problems, 
because they know we play with sensors and they know we think differently. Um, so when we get, you know, can you do this with uh, heat sensing? It, it's, it's amazing to me that people approach a problem with one technology, right? Like, what about the software? What is the history? What is the problem we're actually trying to solve? Ask some more questions. And it's always, you know, even from my troubleshooting background, when you approach a problem, there's never one solution. It's usually a combination of two or three or four technologies and partnerships to, to solve a problem. And I think, you know, that's why I'm always interested to have these conversations is, you know, why would a turnstile company want to talk to an AI company, right? Because that's not what we are. Well, you're, you're, you're building the sensors. Manish is building the, the workflow, the data presentation that will be needed to create actions, decisions based on that data. And, and, and the very fact that both of your endpoints are coming together early on is, is a really good sign for the security industry. Uh, uh, we're just gonna have to educate the executives to also make room for experimentation. And I think they are wrong. You know, I'm sure you're seeing in your conversations the the C-suite is looking at risks differently and looking at the whole everything differently and getting more educated and getting more into these conversations. So I'm finding them way more open-minded than they have been, you know, 10, 20 years ago. How about you, Manish? And Ron, again, thank you for having me on today. I'll just close by going back to that analog I, I raised earlier in the nuclear industry. And what I love about Steve's technology approach is he's recognizing this public fear over mm. a surveillance state world that we're moving into. And there's a lot of negative press on companies that are access control systems or facial recognition systems. And the fact that his novel approach with present sensing protects us a bit from that fear, I think is brilliant. And we're, we look forward to partnering and experimenting together. So both of you have to agree to as soon as you identify somebody who's willing to experiment, we'll have them on as well. And let's have some fun with that. Yeah, absolutely. We've, we've been talking about that list, Ron. This has been a great conversation with Antix CPO uh, Manish, Manish Mehta and the CEO of Orion, Steve Caracelli. Thank you, General. Thank you. Bye Thank you. Now.